pieces destroyed nonchalance. Taking culture apart one episode at a time. A social commentary podcast on pop culture, fashion, film, and music. This week on Destroyed Nonchalance, we're discussing narrative theory. This week, Rick and I talk about narrative, politics, and pop culture. Hello, welcome back to Destroyed Nonchalance. Um, This week, we're talking again about narrative theory. This is the second part. Um, As you might remember, we had the first discussion at St. Pancras, the train station with Serena. And now we're going to pick up on part two, where we apply narrative theory to pop culture and daily life. This is the part we really like to talk about. But first, Rick, um, how have you been doing? What's your week been like? Well, it's actually been two weeks, I think, since the last time that we recorded. Oh, really? St. Pancras. So, yeah, it's it's been busy and it might sound like I'm dumping a bunch of things on, you know, things that we saw or have been watching or doing, but... No, that's it's, fine. It's yeah, kind of interesting parts. <laughs> I'm just trying to deflect from sounding a little bit like we're just sitting and watching things all the time, which we're not. We... I wish. <laughs> I wish I could a little bit more, but no. Um, yeah, we do work a lot in the mornings and, and do all of that. So as we said in the past, we watch shows while we eat or go to the movies. So just going over some of the Movies that we've watched, we did see Maleficent which, oh, yeah. with Angelina Jolie, which I actually really liked. What did you think about it? I liked it. Um, it was darker than I expected it to be. Um, and it seemed like a more complicated movie than the first one. Like this. Yeah, this I mean, it's up. been like over 10 years since the first one came out. And it's, it's one of those movies where I, I knew it was coming, but... Kind of like um, the the Johnny Depp one, uh, Wonderland, Alice in Wonderland, where we didn't really know that one was coming, and I really liked the second one. I think it was the second one, right through the Looking Glass. Oh yeah, those got really complicated. Well, yeah, it it got complicated, but with Maleficent, this story it it got really dark, like for children, maybe to close their eyes or just I don't know. It's it went to very very dark places, which I I was really surprised by, and I enjoyed just how everything played out and some surprises with Michelle Pfeiffer and I, I did like seeing... the Michelle Pfeiffer character, um, but you know the the show is about Maleficent and Angelina Jolie. She did a a really good job of making this Maleficent character just something that we are not used to. Yeah, and just spending more time with that character and, and fleshing it out and I maybe I wish a little bit that I had watched the first one kind of like a double bill but it didn't so much matter that we hadn't watched the first one in a long time it, it just it was good I liked seeing all the old faces Imelda Stoughton <laughs> being yeah. back and I mean Elle, Elle Fanning and just everything um, I enjoyed it and they, it felt like there were some real stakes in this one. And, you know, there were some real sacrifices and, and I think some real death. And I think that just gave it more. I, and I think the stakes came from resonant, resonating with the um, kind of ecology, like the sustainability and the planet and the environmental crisis that's going on. Yeah. And, um, and I think... The, some of the resonance comes from that and contributed to the feeling the stakes were higher. It just felt more realistic, you know, and on that note, I think that Maleficent, she felt more like a realistic character. Like you saw some humorous sides to her. Yeah. She was dealing with something like very familiar, like her daughter's like going to get married and the tensions. So it, it drew on a lot that you can just relate to anyway but then it put in this kind of eco-culture crisis that's going on and the motivations behind environmental destruction and and i mean it is 
like in the first movie, it's it's the telling of the of this fairy tale of Sleeping Beauty and actually seeing how Maleficent got to where she was, and it's kind of like how fairy tales and and th those narratives can take shape depending on how certain people control them, like the queen controlling the narrative that she was bad and that no matter what she did and how maybe selfless and caring she was towards certain people that actually knew her, she was still painted and depicted as this scary, terrible person that... Even after all that time. And, yeah. And out from all the proceedings from the first movie, um, that narrative, the word for the day, yeah. persisted. <laughs> And yeah, and I mean, there's some interesting dynamics around that, that maybe the second um, part of this podcast can contribute towards that. Yeah. Understanding some of those dynamics. So we, we also saw Dr. Sleep, which I think that I want to do a deeper dive podcast. In. Yeah, that I think that's possible. So I, I, I don't want to talk about it too much, but I, I did enjoy it. We, we also saw the Aeronauts. With yeah. Felicity Jones. And I'll and, be talking about that some today in terms of narrative. Yeah, Eddie Redmond. They they did a good job. I liked it. And I liked the free chocolate that they gave us. Oh, yeah. We went to the Odeon Lester Square and they gave us free chocolate as a Yeah, as a I mean, promo. I always like stories and films that tell you about historical things that happened that you didn't really know about. And maybe you should know a bit more about. So I'm looking forward to whenever you talk about it some more. We also went to see The Terminator Dark Fate. I completely forgot about that. It wasn't even a bad movie. No. It was I pretty good in terms of Terminator movies, but I guess... It's I just, just been a while. It's, it's been busy. And yeah. I really liked seeing... Is it Linda Hamilton? Yeah. Yeah, she was back and I just... I always like the Terminator movies, but... A lot of them are really empty because they keep rebooting and rebooting and rebooting. But I think she brought something to this. And yeah. They did not spend any of the budget getting her touched by the fairies, that's for sure. <laughs> well, that's just... that, No, I think it's really good. I mean, she's well, I mean, a tough it plays, bitch. It plays with the character, for sure, and with some of the hard situations that happened. And I, I really enjoyed this one, and... Maybe they'll do another one because I, I really liked the, the main characters and where the story went. And there was some good surprises. So that was interesting. Um, for the show side of things, we continue to watch Dark Crystals, Age of Resistance, which just keeps getting better. It's it's crazy. It can take us forever to watch a TV show or a yeah. Netflix series. Even if it's available for binge watching, binge watching it's like, again, we really only watch shows when we're eating. And some of them, I mean, if they're an hour long, we might get to it like every other weekend or so. Yeah. So I it's mean, taking forever for us to watch Dark for, Crystal, for but Dark it's Crystal, really good. We want to draw it out a bit more because we want to really enjoy the details. So we're trying to watch it at least every Sunday, but sometimes it's every two Sundays because things get busy. But it's, it's just so good. And I I think once we finish it, if we do, because we have a, a thing about not finishing shows or saving the last episode. Oh, yeah, that's where we are with Big Bang Theory. Yeah. We haven't watched the last episode of that. And there's we probably a few, won't for a while. There's a few shows like that, like Gilmore Girls or Frasier. Or... But Dark Crystal... Um, it has a really complex story. It's building up episode by episode, and they're really taking their time with it. And I'm so glad it wasn't just crammed into a two-hour movie that you go see at the theater. They would have lost so much. And I think just think seeing it play out this way, it just makes me think of how much was lost in the original movie. Because Wait, the world, what do you mean? Just the the world is so rich. Yeah. And they can really take their time. So one hour is one episode. And I mean, what the original movie was like two hours or just about. Yeah, something like that. The the things that they can play out, even the as small as a bug just chirping or somebody tripping over 
it just there's a there's just so many the, small things. At, and it all adds up to atmosphere and plot details, but just atmosphere that you get to go in and just follow the camera around as it goes through and follows these people, these yeah, characters. Yeah, it, it builds a relationship and it makes you care. And I think that's really missing a lot from pop culture right now where everybody wants to binge and everybody wants to just consume everything. And so what's next? And if you think about this show, I'm already looking forward to, to watching it again because of all the things I missed. And we're taking our time watching it now just so that we can take it all in. Yeah, but it's so like it breaks free from so many formulas that you see playing out in movies right now and even some shows that and the plot and the story is like really complex. Yeah. <laughs> and so we might have to go back and watch it again just so that we can put all the pieces together because, again, it's not that formulaic, you know, it's not the superhero, you know, two hour or four hour movie theater experience. And then you come out and you pretty much know who's going to win, who's going to lose. And, you know, you're just looking for the variety that's going to play out. No, this, the Dark Crystal is very different. And um, definitely recommended. Yeah. I I think it's, it's such a good show. And another show that I just want to like a, a small mention is Atypical, which... That's I, one of our favorites. Yeah, that it's is like one of our favorites. It's in its third season. It's back, and I, with this show, we kind of just eat it up when it's back because it's a short show and it's so well done. And I think the the topics and the characters that it's representing is they're done so well that I just I like it. I mean, I love Jennifer Jason Lee in almost anything that yeah. she's in. Um, but the whole cast, I mean, it's it's really good. Um, and again, it feels very relatable. Even in the wide range of characters that they throw at you, they all feel pretty relatable. You can And you kind of go through it with them. And I think that's really good storytelling. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's one that, that we enjoy. And we started watching the It's a Small show with Reese Witherspoon. Oh yeah, Reese's show. It's called Shine On on Netflix. And the the ones the episodes we've seen are Dolly Parton, Ava DuVernay and Pink. Yeah, and um I mean, I could tell from the write-up and I could tell from the brief trailer that we saw before we even watched the first episode that this was going to be good, but the way Reese dives in and finds the meaning and the inspiration and like the struggle with these women, um, it brings to light for me, at least a lot of the story that I didn't really know. And you can kind of guess or suspect what might've happened, but then to hear it come out in each woman's voice and their style. I mean, the way that Dolly tells her story versus the way pink has told her story, very different. I mean, of course there are, there are commonalities, but they just have their their styles and they have their contexts and you know what's happened to them um, is very different, but their priorities aren't all that different. And so, what is Reese Witherspoon a journalist now because she does it so well? She producer, asks, I think she's directing. She's something. everything. Of course, she's, she's a great actress. actress. She has an Oscar and she she's a producer. She has her company. She raises her family and she's very real and open about what's what's up with her family and with these interviews she talks she talks to these women that inspired her and they're inspired by her and it's just the the interview it doesn't seem rushed even though it's a short 20 minute show so it's just good and it's not over complicated so i i really i another side of reese witherspoons that we see yeah yeah i mean it is like it's really upbeat. It's really informative. And it's kind of encouraging. Like when you finish watching it, it's like my mood is, is like a, a little bit lifted after her take on this. And I mean, it's not always the nicest or the prettiest topics that they're talking about, but just what you come away with. It was, it's inspiring. Yeah. And she's, I mean, she's really strong. We, we're seeing her in the morning show with Jennifer Aniston. And just to think that That's she's... another show that we started. She's by producing... The way. <laughs> Yeah, I forgot to mention that. I just thought of it now. But she's she's not just acting in it. She's producing it with 
Jennifer Aniston, and then you think about Big Little Lies on HBO, and she's also a producer with Nicole Kidman. On she, it. her name is attached. She's she some really good projects. <laughs> she's doing really well for herself, and she's not. It's so not what like do she's, you think of the the morning show. Have we finished it? Have no, we caught up? No, they're they're releasing an episode every Friday. Ah, uh, okay. So we've seen the first three, and. It's making me... I, I already like Jennifer Aniston, but she did a few, like, wrong-turn choices in some of the movies that she's been in. Just the comedy schlub type of role yeah, that know, she should... I'm glad she's getting away to from. To that point, I this show is making me forget that I really didn't like Jennifer Aniston because I was not a Friends fan, and I don't think I've seen a movie of hers come out that I really liked, or if I've liked any of her movies, they don't come to mind. But this, the morning show is making me forget that I don't like Jennifer Aniston. And I actually like what she's bringing to this character. I like this character. So, um, yeah. And this, I don't, I haven't read any reviews for any of the shows yet. I mean, I just don't like reading reviews until I'm done with something because I like to form my own opinion. But um, this, if, if Apple puts out more shows like this, then I would, I won't regret subscri- subscribing to it. Yeah, they're, they're in a good path. It's making me want the next episode. Yeah. I kind of hated that we have to wait every week, although it's kind of good that we do have to wait. So, anyway, there's there's that. It's It's been a few shows here and there and movies and just going around working mm-hmm. on personal projects. And Have we seen Cher since the last time we recorded? I think we have seen Cher since the last time we recorded. Oh my god. It's yeah. been that long. So there's that. We, like that was a Cher. giant one. Yeah. I mean, so Cher came to London. It was our first time ever to see Cher. Um, I don't think I've ever seen any of even her recorded concerts like on like online or anything like that. And I have to say I was like really impressed with with the whole thing it was like it was exactly it lived up to everything it should have lived up to she i mean i've been wanting to see share since it was the farewell tour where i couldn't i was in high school and i couldn't really go see shows and i think ninth grade i was in and i've just been wanting to go see share for the longest time and something always got in the way Either I didn't have money or it was in a different city or she's been in Vegas. And, you know, it's all like, so she finally, you know, she continued her, what is it? The Here We Go Again tour because we, we missed. in support of the, the ABBA album. That yeah, because we missed the last tour because she, she stopped it halfway because there was some health things for the, for the last album that she did. So Here We Go Again. She went on the road and she's been to America and she made it here. And I love Cher so much. And I'm always listening to Cher and just from her Sony and Cher stuff to the 80s music to everything she did in the 2000s. I just, I love everything Cher and always wanted to see her. And I was just, I got emotional in the show just because who we were seeing. Yeah, and it was what a stage. legend. She is right there singing. Like, but she's so I got you, babe, and <laughs> yeah. I mean, she doesn't leave any of that behind. That's for sure. And I'm like seeing it up on stage. I appreciated the '80s music more than I had originally, but um, it was just phenomenal but she's so comfortable up on stage yeah i mean she's just so open and just so comfortable i mean like we we've seen madonna together a number of times and madonna she puts on a production and it's tense and it's full-on from beginning to end and if she if madonna takes a break she's either it's very quick and you know, she takes a breath, she's like sitting down for a couple of seconds and then she's back at it or she's breathing backstage or we don't see her. Cheryl come out and she's very chill. That's not to say there's no dancing or choreography. No, because there were some songs where she, I mean, she changed looks so often. There was some songs where it was one one look for one song and then she went and changed. So she changed so many times. 
for this show. And some of the looks I had seen, because I saw her fa- Farewell Tour DVD. And oh, it so was you watched nice. it? You had watched that? Yeah, I saw, <laughs> I saw that. And I think it was only the elephant one where the elephant came out and she was riding it. That's the only one that I had seen. How much recycling does she do of these looks? That one was the only one that I can say. Yeah. And in that tour, she came down from the top oh. in a thing. So in, in this show, she came down from the top, but she was doing something else. I think she was in a swing on the farewell tour. But, I mean, you know. Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> but, yeah, she's really always, show. she always comes down, like, from somewhere up above. So, I mean, I... I want to see her again, maybe if she does Vegas. She extended her tour now to America to just, I think, almost through 2020. And I'm thinking she's going to go to Vegas again. So maybe we'll make a trip over there. Yeah, she is so... Because you haven't been to Vegas yet. I haven't. So she never been to Vegas. It's such a worth it performer. And if you ever get to see her, just get a chance. Go, go, go. I'm glad you brought that up because I had forgotten that we have not talked about it. And shares definitely, yeah, an amazing. Yeah, well, no, it's good that you bring up the movies and the TV and stuff because my head is like, especially for the past couple of weeks, has just been so much into the research, um, well, making you have, notes. You had some meetings as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I met with one of my supervisors and it seems to be going well. Um, she said it's evident that I've been working, you know, I put a lot, I've been putting a lot of work into it, um, which is good. And she's given me some, um, kind of just some heads up about confirmation coming up. And that's where I make the case. It's the next stage of making the case for my project and what's involved in that. And, um, it's a challenge and I mean, it's a lot of work, but I do like it. And honestly, when we're not watching a TV show while we're eating, or if we're not like running out to the movies, or when Cher is not in town, <laughs> it's pretty much all I do. And a lot of times, I can't even remember that we've seen a movie until you've you mentioned it. And it's like, oh yeah, it's all that. Um, because I've just been going through um, design theory, critical design theory. I've been looking at um, emotion capitalism today, and um, and. I kind of right now I'm in going back and forth between those two topics. I still write in my journal pretty much every morning um, as a way to um, understand my own narrative. Going back to that word, our theme for this week. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's, that's. So, what was the big takeaway with your meeting? What is the the thing you need to ramp up to now? Uh, well, confirmation. Is what I'm ramping up to, and I I need to prepare for. So I'm going to be hopefully doing some field work soon, and then um, I think there are two chapters that I have to write. So there's a written component to it, and then there's a conversational side to it where um, I, I believe an external examiner is going to come in and ask me questions. And Jane is going to be there with me. And it's like a soft form of the Viva that comes, which is the oral exam at the end of the project. Um, so this is like kind of a practice run. So I've got writing to do. I've got field work to do. And all of it comes together to form a written case as to why my, product, my project is actually um, a contribution to knowledge. And then there's the conversational side of it. Um, so, yeah. It's a lot of work. <laughs> That's the takeaway. Um, it's not, it's, it's not very specific at this point. It's just a heads up. So, yeah. So, I think second segment, we're talking about um, finding narrative theory in pop culture and in daily life. And, I mean, narrative theory, at least as far as I can tell from what I can understand about it, it's so broad um, and it it informs so much that finding examples of it and um, 
is not difficult. It could be a matter of finding the most interesting example of it. it could be the real challenge. And um, again, narrative is what draws you into a culture. It's, it's constituted through social interaction. So whenever there's a social interaction that starts to form around a particular social group or culture, it does so through narrative. And narrative defines who the heroes are, what he heroic actions are, who the villains are, and it defines what the problematic actions are. And so it takes the raw material of experience and kind of shapes it into something that there's a group consensus on what it means. And, um, you know, like for this podcast, it's the daily, it's the weekly experiences of culture, or pop culture that we do. Like, oh, that becomes interesting conversation. And then it's about knowledge and awareness of theory and critical theory and how that's supposed to be like a good thing. So yeah, that's, you know, that's narrative applied to our podcast. And when I work on my journal in the morning, it's I'm laying out what's important to me, what my values are, what problems have I encountered, you know, what problems have I generated. And it's reflective but again i'm forming my narrative and it shapes what i bring to a lot of my social interactions because again social interactions are constituted through narrative um so what do you have rick in terms of pop culture culture daily life and narrative theory well i'm not going to be Comparing or surrounding into a movie specifically. No, that's fine. On pop culture, I'm mainly looking because I'm I'm really a little bit still a little bit confused on narrative theory and what it means because it's it seems very hard to nail down right. a definition. And even some of the papers I looked at, they had a problem with having three different definitions and they had to say, okay, I'm going to choose the latter. I'm going to decide on the, on this one. So it's so. That happens a lot too. I mean, it, for like the big topics, I mean, academics and like people talking about this, they kind of have to define and draw like this fence around. Well, this is how I'm approaching it. You have to be, you have to choose. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. If you if you're working in the field and continuing to develop that, you have to say this is what came before and I'm choosing A out of A, B and C because A works more with what I'm going to build on. Exactly. And that's what I have to do for my project. I mean, I can't just throw these words around and expect there to be like this common understanding about it because I'm building an argument over specific notions around and specific uses of these theories and concepts. Yeah, exactly. So, so I looked. I I brought in last week's theory that I that I found from Todorov's narrative theory. Right. And and I broke it down into into a narrative or into breaking all of this down. So, bear with me. And if it's all just I, I'm sure we fine. Yeah. No, it's it's fine. So hopefully I'm not just completely left field, but. Anyways, the, the, so the biggest problem with narrative theory that I had is to try to nail one thing down. Right. Because it's the human condition and it's too vast and things will always be different and hard to pin down, especially once you get wind of putting them in a box. Or like, you know, if you, if you know that Troy is trying to apply narr narr narrative theory to your life and you get a wind of that, you're going to already try to change that narrative because you want it to be better than what it is. Yeah, it's definitely fluid. <laughs> so, it's definitely dynamic. So it's, it's just... It, yeah, so it's... it's That's why it's so hard for me. And so I tried to... But that's uh, also part of like the, the risk in it and the dangerous side because it is always shifting whether you want it to or not. Yeah, you can rebel against somebody trying to describe your narrative, but I mean, it's so influenced by all of the different social contexts that you participate in that it's not concrete, it's not nailed down. 
Exactly. So I tried to apply Todorov's narrative theory to the current political climate to ah, show okay. Okay. to just show how unwieldy it is and how fractured it can be in certain non-controlled scenarios. Right, right. Like the political climate that's going on. Just because and also I wanted to talk about the political climate, but it's hard to find places to talk about it at the beginning on what we've been doing because it's part of every minute or every day. It's not like I went to that movie and I saw it and it, it finished and then I can talk about that movie. It's right, you know, right. every day and every day we get new stuff and so anyways, breaking it down just as a refresher, Todorov's theory is you begin with equilibrium where everything is balanced. Then you progress when equilibrium is disrupted and then resolution where equilibrium is restored. Right. So starting with the the first one. And so I, I go where equilibrium and balance. And let's, for example, say the Obama administration is where we find our equilibrium and balance, but there's already flaws because there's already an assumption that all of that had equilibrium and balance back then. And and that's wrong. Even the fact that voters didn't realize a president is not king and can't bring about change without the House and the Senate backing. Right. Yeah. I mean... So that it has to be like in a really broad sense of equilibrium, and because it's not entirely equilibrium, but not when you're looking at something so big. Yeah. So that that kind of breaks down equilibrium because you can say, "Oh, we got Obama in the White House, and then we're done, and we have equilibrium." But you also need to have different powers that add to that equilibrium. And when you had the Republican side that was just obstructing, there, he can bring about the change that he promised. And if you kind of give up and take the back seat, it makes it even harder. So when you're looking at progress, right. when equilibrium is disrupted, you look at Trump coming in and that's, that's a disruption that people thought they wanted but it, it brings little to no progress in hand so you you only have a disruption to the equilibrium that people thought they had so if you wanted to focus right more on just obama's administration i guess the republican obstruction that was the disruption of equilibrium but with trump now it's the wild west with obstruction and lawlessness and impeachment hearings i guess there's yeah okay so you have the lawlessness and i guess the the impeachment hearings can can be the progress yeah to remove the to remove the disruption that has happened to the equilibrium what's the stage after progress the stage after progress is resolution with equilibrium uh-huh. restored Okay. So will this equilibrium ever be restored and has the damage already been done? This is like the the happily ever after part of a fairy tale. And we all know that life is not that simple. Right. So if you're looking at this in terms of narrative, you could be talking about maybe the stability of the U.S. government in like contemporary times. And you could look at Obama as the equilibrium point and as the story progresses what you have is this disturbance um from trump who's upsetting so many of the norms and um getting support from so many like what we could call villains or whatever you know he's the antagonist and then um then you could look at the heroic actions quote unquote heroic actions of those who are trying to bring normalcy back into the U.S. government, like Pelosi and the Democrats and these um, impeachment hearings as all like part of the process, the system that so many citizens have faith in. And then so the resolution is that the get back to maybe a new equilibrium. I don't know if we can get back to the same equilibrium. No. And I mean, it's the process that's happening now with the hearings to show the rule of law. 
the Constitution. And, yeah, and that that it the rule of law exists, and that there has to be a show of it because otherwise the after equilibrium is just going to be so disrupted that we're never going to get back to any semblance of what used to be. Right, right. So, I mean, it's... It's a really complicated subject to apply narrative theory to, but I think that if you get specific about what it is and you're telling it's the narrative of the U.S. government in contemporary times and, you know, the impact of the executive branch versus the legislative branch... And what happens to uh, the system of checks and balances when you have a president who maybe doesn't understand that very well himself? And that's a very specific story. That's a very specific narrative that you're telling, right? Yeah, and it is, it is very complicated. And I know you can say that about almost any narrative, unless you're watching something like a children's show where Dora needs to get across the river and... Once she gets but across even that's the river, simplified for the sake of a children's audience. Yeah, no, it is, and I think that narrative theory has a value as an analytical instrument, right? Because you're looking at the situation, you're looking at the narrative, and you're gaining knowledge out of what you're looking at. Exactly, exactly, and I mean, yeah, it took a. I was going to talk about the aeronauts, <laughs> like, because for me it was just easier to point to a movie where yeah, the story has already been like told a to us. Fire over here. No, no, no. But yours is actually a lot more relevant because I was going to compare like the narrative around the scientists versus the performer and how they had to come together, and then you have the narrative of um, she's the reliable pilot, but she being a woman wasn't allowed into their scientific society where he was giving the findings of this expedition that she's responsible for making happen and she's responsible for the fact that they all survived, but she's not allowed into this room and he doesn't even address that. And um, so how they had to come together in the context of this balloon to understand how a performer and a scientist, how a man and a woman, how um, a pilot and... You know, a passenger have to redefine themselves in the context of this balloon. And it's a little microcosm of what's happening everywhere. And I mean, you could say the same things about Nancy Pelosi and Trump and the, you know, the U.S. government and how they're having to redefine what's going on so that the people who are connected to this culture can understand Okay, what happens to the Constitution when the president acts like this? And how is the Constitution being defended by this legislative branch that's supposed to be the checks and balances to this out-of-control executive side? But it all comes down to, like, that balloon cart, you know? And that, and I mean, that's the essence of, like, narrative theory. I mean, that's why it's really important. And we're all involved in so many balloon carts, hot air balloon carts, that we're not even like aware of, um, or at least the complexity of, we're not aware of th that. And that's why for me, it's like, yeah, you can point out like the narrative um, roles being assigned to who this and what the equilibrium point is. But the fact is that it's so fluid, it's so dynamic, and it's such the basis of how we understand how we get along in one situation after the next, that um, we're influenced by this narrative, like all the different narratives that we're wrapped up in, that we buy into, that we endorse. Um, for example, in the Cold Intimacy book today, I was just reading about The Oprah Winfrey Show, which, you know, I like Oprah, um, and like on the whole I do, but they were breaking down these conversations that happened on the Oprah Winfrey show where um, this husband and wife, their marriage was going through a difficult time and the wife really wanted a divorce and the husband didn't. And he was trying to explain the feeling of not wanting a divorce. But with Oprah and with her um, expert guest panelists, they were trying to get him to redefine those feelings of not wanting a divorce as attempts to control his wife 
and possessiveness and jealousy and um well is he really being vain because what does divorce reflect back on him and after a process after a long conversation you know in being involved in the show he did start to reshape his own feelings about not wanting a divorce in terms of what was being presented to him through this panel and the Oprah show. And it's not what he started out thinking. It's not what he started out understanding his feelings to be. But through this process, like, well, you're here on this stage, you're listening to these experts, your wife is talking about this and Oprah's leading a discussion. You're very understanding of what your emotions are and what your values are come to be shaped. And there it's not concrete and it's not stagnant it's not still and um, by the very social act of participating in that then the narratives of what he was as an emotional being was altered and for the sake of a television show and through a television show and who knows how long that self-definition remained changed or if it was just, you know, who knows? So how many people that are not... Well, how many people even know about this narrative theory? And how many people study it or acknowledge it? Because do you think that everything might be better if people actually... Because I, I see it as... It is a form of reflection. Right. If people looked at narratives or understood other narratives, it might help them not become a puppet. I would think so. And that's actually one of the reasons why I want to do this podcast. Because, um, I mean, another example other than the podcast is our um, Relevant Queer Project, where we're taking this cultural understanding of more cultural understandings of queer facets of culture. And we're saying, well, actually, no, we're changing the narrative around how a lot of people think about it by presenting this other side that doesn't really get talked about. St. Augustine, I think, is the first one that's coming up on the 13th. Um, I'm sure when you go into the Catholic Church, you don't hear about his lusting for another man. But the fact that he wrote about it in his journal... Or in, in his, his writing, in his confession, it's like, well, no, it's it's time to alter the narrative. One, because it's what he wrote about himself and got pushed under the covers and, you know, sanitized and or condemned. And it's like, no, it's time to rechange that because we tell each other these stories and we confirm and we shape and we mutate. And it's, there's there's a lot of injustice in that and there's a lot of that's lost basically i think you had mentioned this earlier there's a lot that's lost i mean just when you take something like dark crystal and you turn it from like a a 13 hour long project into a two-hour project it's like well you lose a lot well when you take the like the homosexual attractions from one was he a saint towards another man and you completely just make you wipe it from existence as much as you can, I mean, then you're shaping the narrative of it. And you have no idea that this even existed, that St. Augustine was actually writing and thinking about these kinds of things. So I don't know how much people know about narrative theory. I wasn't that informed about narrative theory, but it's it's pervasive. I mean, and the impacts are far-reaching. But through something like social media, it's like we have... The chance through something like journaling, even, and you you are defining, you're answering questions that are important to answer without using other people's languages, hopefully. Yeah. No, I I understand all of that. I just don't know how you could get more people to understand it or to even look at it. Because I if if you're not an academic or an author or a researcher or just i mean i can see how understanding narrative theory can help you if you're writing a book or if you're writing a tv show or if you're producing something you're 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 more in that world but 
narrative theory doesn't just have to be in the production of entertainment because it's no. in the production of your life. It is the and it's, it's and everybody has the meaning of the production of your life. It's like a it's the construction of, construction of meaning. And I mean, and how did you get people to to bother? Because it it, it kind of seems like it's too hard for people to. I don't want to discount people, and but it seems. Like, let's just go watch Love Island, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Reality TV is or, out there. Or, you know, hate your neighbors because you go to church and you hear from the preacher that what your neighbors are doing are bad and sinful. <laughs> so you just swallow it. No, but I, I don't know. I think that it's not a matter of discounting people. It's a matter of realizing that the influences are so pervasive that... I mean, sometimes you happen on to really good sources of information or you happen on to like a really good, um, just aware, like something that brings you aware. Like for me, reading about this, I didn't really understand it that much. Yeah. I mean, I guess it is chipping at it with yeah. knowledge. Yeah. And, and something has, something might get through yeah, to something. somebody at some point. Yeah, it's coming from so many different places, like Brene Brown and um, the subtle art of not giving a fuck, and like just there, it's coming through in so many different places. And it's uh, people may not be using the language of narrative theory. That's a, but, that's what I'm thinking. That people are doing it. It's just not. It doesn't have that label because. As I was reading about this and writing about it, it's it's just kind of like a you're breathing. It's like the breathing of. Well, yeah, no, I agree with you. It's this is like it's it's gonna happen whether you look at it with that label or not, or whether you realize it's happening or not. It's there. It's it's like breathing. It's life. Yeah, yeah, and so I mean, I think the most we can hope for is to choose carefully the social participation we want to engage in, the social groups that we want to join. I think last week we were talking about it, and this idea of being controlled socially is really bad, but is it really bad if you're talking about being influenced by a philosophy group or by, a, you know, a, an eco-consciousness group or... Uh, like social influence isn't bad. It's unavoidable. It's not necessarily bad or something to avoid if you're careful about where it comes from. And if you really just re-examine your, your cultural participation, I don't know what you're going to get from um, Love Island, but, you know, Reese Witherspoon, she contacted Pink for the first time because she just saw all these examples of girls acting stupid as something to look up to. And that became part of, like, the social narrative where, okay, in order to be attractive, in order to be interesting as a female, you have to be stupid. And she just rebelled against that. And she wrote to Pink because Pink wrote that song, Stupid Girl. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, I mean, just be, you can be critical and you can be really selective, and it doesn't make you a bad person if your opinion is different. And pay attention to when your opinion is different. And look for people who value your opinion because it is different. And speak out. Yeah, look for the red flags when your opinion is shut down and you're made to be somebody who you're not. Yeah, I mean, that happened recently in a conversation I had over the course of a few days where I was trying to explain my experience of going through a situation and questions, you know, I mean, I wasn't able to answer questions about why I looked at a situation the way I did and why, uh, what my motivations were. I had a general sense, but then the more I thought about it, it's like, okay, no, I can articulate why I thought this and I can... It took took about a week for me to to for, to come up with these articulations of why I thought this and what my train of thought and perception and evaluation came down to. But every time I tried to articulate it and express this, um, 
It just got reinterpreted into something that wasn't true. It just got reinterpreted again into something that wasn't true and again into something that wasn't true. And it's like, well, nothing that I'm saying about like me is registering with this person. Why would I engage in conversation anymore with it? Because it's all about how I don't understand myself when, no, it's like, you're not understanding me. You're not accepting what I'm saying as truth. And I'm speaking about myself and there's no way that can be overridden by something that you are. I mean, it's just, no, you can ask me critical questions. You can ask me to reflect on myself, but you can't shape everything that comes out of my mouth into something that wasn't meant to be. And that's exactly what was happening. But you know, that happens a lot. And I mean, that's how you just know that it's not your place to coexist. Does that make sense? Yeah. Does it sound really defensive? I don't make I don't mean for it to sound defensive, but when you try your hardest to articulate something, um, and you're trying to find the words that just resonate within you so that you can express them and put them out there so that you are understood and it just falls flat, then no, it's time to go somewhere else. But when it's not, and they do understand what you're saying and you build on a mutual understanding then you're shaping a narrative that means more to you. But if like, if the narrative that comes out of your interaction with some people it means nothing to you and it falls flat, styrofoam, then it's best to let it blow away in the wind. It's true. I agree. This is a heavy topic. All right. So um, I think we're, in terms of critical theories, we've made it through most of the major ones. We've talked about identity. We've talked about uh, mediatization. We've, we've talked about narrative. Um, and again, we're kind of basing this around my project and like, what I'm most familiar with. But um, And what I'm not familiar with at all. Well, no, but you definitely okay. brought your own to the discussion. <laughs> and I mean, today you you applied it to the U.S. government as it is like right now. And I was just going to use the lame example of the aeronauts. It's not lame. Um, but no, I really appreciate all the work that you've been putting into this. Um, yeah, and you're making the conversations fun. And I hope the readers are enjoying this as well. So um, I guess we can wrap up here. It's been like... 50 minutes yeah yeah we can end it here all right so see you next time Bye. bye thank you for listening we hope you enjoyed it make sure you subscribe to our podcast we put it out weekly and follow us on social media we're on every platform instagram twitter facebook we're everywhere